DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. We're joined now by Bill Conley, National College Football Writer for ESPN. He joins us on the T-Mobile Special Guest Line. T-Mobile and Sprint are coming together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. Bill, good morning. How are you doing? Good. We have been, uh, we have been thrashing about trying to answer the question, how good is BYU? You've probably I mean, heard that a time or two yourself. How good is BYU? A couple, uh, you know. I, I mean, from what we've seen through three games, tremendous. I know there's the, you know, this is college football, so the ain't played nobody question is always out there. And I mean, certainly, you know, using my SP Plus rankings, they haven't played a top seventy team yet. So I mean, there is that disclaimer. But Troy's pretty good. Um, I, what we saw elsewhere, and they won by forty-one. They've they've manhandled everybody basically and and if you use something like my rankings or the spread as a bar usually teams that exceed that overachieve against that bar this dramatically to the three games usually keep it up that's that's what i think too you know the, the competition there is something that is i don't know if it's a sticking point but it's a factor but I think when you look deeper, you see that BYU the last couple of years played a ton of players that are now in their third year with their coaches together. The offensive staff has been good, and there's been consistency in the program. Is that or how much of that are you factoring in when you say that they're pretty good? Well, I mean, I think, you know, at the beginning of the year, I think it was right after uh, week one when BYU stomped Navy, I looked at, you know, all offseason we were talking about, you know, in this weird, like the weirdest offseason ever, uh, not a lot of practices. If, you're, if you've got a new coach, that lack of continuity might hurt even more than normal. Um, so I looked at the opposite. I looked at the teams with heavy continuity, with a returning starting quarterback and a head coach at least in his, in his third year, coordinators at least in their second year. Um, and, you know, out of the gates, kind of seemed, I mean, number one, BYU was obviously on that list, but then, um, you know, even beyond that, it kind of seemed like a lot of the teams we were kind of curious about are playing well so far. Florida is on that list, for instance, and they're looking really good, especially offensively with their, uh, with their high continuity offensive coordinator and, and second year starting quarterback and everything. So, you know, it is still very early and, and at any point, uh, this could flip around, obviously. But, um, again, like the sustainability, it, it's not a fluke that they're beating these teams this badly. The sustainability appears to be there right now. So I've thought for a long time that the elite teams in the group of five are certainly comparable to the middle of the power five. Oh, yeah. And then on any given team and given year, they, they can be better than that. You know, they can, yeah. they can compete. We see it in New Year's Six Bowls. So I'm curious because we don't – we follow the group of five teams in the Mountain West, obviously, because they're here. And you can't help but see some stuff about the AAC. But when you start playing the Sun Belt and Conference USA, eh, nobody here is really following those leagues. Are, the, are these teams any good? Do they have many NFL players on them? Because Billy's beaten a couple of them, and they're about to play a couple more of them. It's like, are there any, you said there's nobody top 70. Is there anybody about to be top 70? Is Houston going to be that? They're AEC, but they're coming off a four-win season. Yeah, I mean, yeah, generally speaking, to your first point, um, I mean, the top 
10 or 15 teams in the, in the group of five as a whole would easily be at least middle of the pack in, in a given power conference. They're in that number 20 to 50 kind of range with a lot of, like, with the old Miss types and the, um, you know, Michigan States and whatnot. So it would be very competitive, obviously. Um, but, you know, BYU's schedule – well, I mean, it could be better, but like Western Kentucky, I thought was going to be pretty good this year. They haven't really shown it yet, and currently in my rankings, they're 69th. Houston is 60th. Boise State's 36th. Um, San Diego State 77th, and they could teams like Western Kentucky or or San Diego State or Houston could turn out to be better than where they're at right now. But um, I mean, it's <laughs> the other part of this is if this becomes a conversation in the playoff, for instance, if you know the uh, the Georgias and Floridas and whatnot, then enough teams lose to where you could conceivably look at BYU as a candidate for the number four spot, even if Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State end up untouchable or whatever. I would hope that the schedule is not held that much far against them because it's not their fault they're playing these teams. They have like five P5 teams scheduled. So, you know, yes, the strength of schedule is just going to be bad. Like, the best win they're going to probably have if they finish undefeated is Boise State, which would be a top 30 or 40 win, but it would only be one of them. But this isn't their fault. They, You know, they had a piece of schedule together in August, and they're dominating it right now. So, Bill, a lot of BYU fans listen to us. We've been doing this show for almost 19 years now in this market, and I can tell you, you just caused many heart palpitations <laughs> when you mentioned BYU and playoff. Expound yeah. on that. Give them a full heart attack. Well, I mean, it's funny because, you know, back before the Big Ten and Pac-12 announced they were returning, we were looking at, you know, accidental inclusion, we'll call it. The college football playoff clearly isn't very good at even – batting an eye at the G5 uh, in general, but they were almost going to have to there for a bit. And, of course, then the Pac-12 and uh, Big Ten return, and that made it muddier. But, I mean, look, if the Pac-12 doesn't produce an unbeaten team, I doubt they, depending on the field, I doubt they, they have a great, great chance of a 6-1 and one team getting in because we already know this debate that's happening with, you know, can you play that few games and really be considered? We know that's a thing. I think if they're unbeaten, they'll get a, a champion in. But otherwise, I think it's questionable. Big 12 has just about eliminated itself. Um, the Big 10 and SEC are probably in pretty good shape here. With you know, if Alabama is amazing, then you know Georgia, Florida, as long as they end up with one loss or maybe two, they're probably in good shape. Same with the Big 10, with like a Penn State or Wisconsin. But I mean, the field could clear itself up, and, and it will have to for BYU to be considered because of the schedule, whether that's fair or not. But if they continue to win games by 40 points on average, uh, and all these other teams lose two or three games, which is conceivable against really hard SEC type schedules, then I mean, this is <laughs> let's put it this way: this is the best possible year for you to have a dominant team against a weak schedule because it might get you a little further up the ladder than normal. Bill Conley joining us. He's a national college football writer for ESPN. We've seen guys opting out, and I have two questions about opting out. One, is this going to become the new norm when a guy's a first-round draft pick? He's thinking, why should I risk a college football season when I know I'm going to get picked on the first day of the NFL draft? There's that, and then there's also how much are all these opt-outs going to hurt Oregon, and who's really the favorite in the Pac-12? Yeah, Oregon has certainly been hit pretty hard, and um and, and, you know, the secondary especially, they already had the quarterback situation, or a new quarterback, I should say. But in terms of the 
the units where continuity can help or hurt you the most. The defensive backfield is right up there with quarterback and the receiving core. So that is going to hurt them a little bit. We'll see if it matters. I mean, Washington, we don't quite know enough about yet. Uh, you know, Cal, I don't really trust uh, offensively, especially. Uh, so it might not hurt them. They might still be the favorite in the North. But you do figure if USC's defense can improve. And, and you know, we start going down the if road with USC. We we end up, you know, making bad predictions a lot of the time. But we know their offense is going to be awesome. And if the defense is merely good, then they're probably the Pac-12 favorite at that point. But to your point about opt-outs in general, I don't – well, I mean, I think there are only a few key players per year that can head into the, head into the season knowing they're going to be first-rounders. And a lot of those guys are going to, maybe not all of them, but a lot of them are just going to love playing college football and, and being in college, and they want to enjoy it one last time. So they're going to keep playing. Maybe one or two guys uh, get, you know, start to think about this in a given year. I think what it does, though, is it normalizes the idea of opting out of the bowl game. We've already seen that increase in recent years, and I think that part will, will almost certainly continue to grow. So... To connect it to BYU, if the Big 12, as you say, is just about eliminated itself, Oklahoma State gets a loss and everybody will have a loss. And the Pac-12, in all nine years now, I realize they've been playing nine, not just seven, but nobody's gone undefeated. They all have at least one blemish. So if those two situations occur, how imperative is it for BYU, if it wants to gain any traction in the conversation, to almost to have it be mandatory that they beat teams by 35, 40 points. Yeah. Yeah, it's, they're going to have to run up the scores. I don't think there's any question about that. That's not something you normally encourage. But if BYU gets really high up the list, it's going to be because they were continuing to look like they did against Navy, continuing to look like they did against Troy and most of the Louisiana Tech game. It's going to require that. And Boise State's kind of the one freebie there. Like, if they just beat, if they just win at Boise State and Boise State goes on to, you know, do as well in the Mountain West as we can probably assume they will, then that's fine. But, yeah, the other games uh, against the top 60, 70 teams, they're going to have to to absolutely roll. Maybe you get one mulligan in there. Maybe you only beat Houston by 10 or something like that. But it is, I mean, again, it, they're not going to include anybody outside of the P5 unless they absolutely have to, and, and BYU's going to have to continue to put on an absolute show here moving forward. So the average score is f- roughly 49-8, to eight, and they yeah. have taken their foot off the gas. I mean, there have been kneel yeah. downs and second-string player quarterback, but other positions to win. So, but you can take your foot off the gas once you won by 40, right? You're not getting, right you don't exactly. need to do more than that. Right. Yeah, you can take the second stringers out, or you can take the first stringers out if you're if you're up by that much. But it does have to be like you have to make a point every single game. You have to prove a point, basically. So we could potentially have 1984 revisited with Brian <laughs> Gumble and Barry Switzer and Bo Diddley Tech. How fun would that be? <laughs> I, I mean, it makes sense that it would be BYU uh, in the in the strangest year of all time here. Uh, that it would be BYU revisiting history and, and making things strange again. So is ESPN going to get, you know, Brian Gumbel to, you know, the older Brian Gumbel to say Bo Diddley Tech into a camera so they can put it next to the younger Brian Gumbel? I mean, I can see a little, uh, one of those little pregame 30-second hype pieces to set the stage. I mean, give Gene Wojciechowski enough time. That seems right up his alley, if a, a fun piece about that. So I'll plant the seed. All right, plant the seed. When it happens, I want to take full credit for it. 
How much do you think of Larry Scott making the proposition to expand the playoffs is for job preservation as opposed to having a legitimate point? Well, I, I, I think it can be both. Let's put it that way. I do think, um, I mean, he, he's all, he should be all about job preservation right now, but it's also a point that a lot of people have been making recently that we're going to know even less about these teams now than we do in a given year, and we already deal with the smallest uh, you know, sample size of any major sport, uh, sport, pro or college. So it would make sense that in a given year where some of the teams being considered for the national title are going to end up playing seven games, that you expand the field a little bit just to make sure you get uh, everybody worthy into the pool, so to speak. But, I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like, if we, if we expand to eight this year and it goes well, and it would, then um, – where I would absolutely be among the many, many people saying, let's do this all the time. I mean, I, I know that they're worried about that slippery slope. And I think being that we all know we're going to get there eventually, it's it's just kind of a silly time-wasting exercise here not doing it. But, I mean, it, it makes more – it always makes sense, and it makes even more sense this year to think that way, even if it comes from a guy who is absolutely trying to save his job. But so much of this discussion just comes down to power and control, and you can't tell us what to do, and we'll do it when we want to do it, not yeah, when you Scott. want to do it. Yeah, having I'm, Larry Scott be the guy uh, cheerleading it was not going to help the cause. Right, sure. yeah, right. Nobody wants to tell the SEC what to do, but there is a little bit of <laughs> irony building here. And it's got to, the, the scores have to build out to make it happen, but, but the scores could play out this way. You know, for years, the leagues that play eight games get in the 14 playoff, and the leagues that play nine, well, one of those leagues is a league that has to be left out, unless two of them are, right? And so now, all of a sudden, you're going to have the Pac-12 playing seven games, and you're going to have the SEC and the ACC playing ten. Now, maybe Clemson's so much better than the ACC, it just doesn't matter. That, I believe. But is there any chance that the SEC beats itself up? Maybe not as quickly as the Big 12. That's Congratulations, mm-hmm. Big 12. That's very impressive. But is the SEC going to do this? Is the SEC going to be arguing, oh, we had to play more conference games? Because if I hear that out of the pie hole of one SEC person, I'm not going to be alone in thinking it's hilarious. Oh, yeah, no, I mean, there's, the irony potential here is, is extremely high for that exact reason. Because, I mean, there will be, I mean, if an SEC person says it, they'll at least ignoring history, they'll at least have a point because, um, like, Georgia would have to play Alabama twice, mm-hmm. not to mention Florida and everybody else. Like, the, the schedules among the top teams are going to be really hard, and a really, really good team might finish 9-2 and two or 8-3. and three. So they would have a point. It's just, as you said, the, the role reversal here is funny. There, there, somebody, uh, a friend of mine on Twitter uh, a few weeks ago, also pointed out that we could have a scenario where Notre Dame is arguing against BYU's uh, uh, inclusion because Notre Dame had to play in a conference title game and they did. So that's another that's another high irony uh, scenario on the table. It's not quite as likely. Yeah, with that Notre Dame situation this year, I suppose they do do very well and only have one loss. Would we see two ACC teams in then? Well, I think that's kind of what we're looking at. Like, I mean, it's fun talking about BYU, but we do the second place team in the SEC, ACC, and and. Um, Big Ten are all going to have decent cases to make just in terms of the runner-ups probably going to be really good. Like Notre Dame's the borderline top-five team right now. And so if they went out but only lose to Clemson, I, well, I guess since they play Clemson, they would probably have to split with Clemson uh, one of the two games with them to get in, which honestly at that point probably makes them worthy. 
But there are some high caliber. I, the bottom half of the ACC is still pretty sketchy as a whole. But I think between Notre Dame and Miami and North Carolina and maybe Virginia Tech, if they can ever get all their guys on the field, the, the potential for a very high caliber number two ACC team is certainly higher this year than it's been in recent years. And obviously Notre Dame being in the ACC certainly helps that. Bill Conley joining us, National College football writer for ESPN. I'm planning on watching Oklahoma, Texas, because I figure it's first team to 50, because uh, nobody's going to tackle yeah. anybody in that game. It's just going to be two-hand touch, and it's going to be outrageous. Uh, <laughs> given all the problems across the Big 12, could Oklahoma State go undefeated and win that league? Um, they could. They seem to be actually playing defense this year. Um, I mean, they haven't played great defenses or offenses yet, but... They are certainly dominating bad offenses, which will get you pretty far. Uh, and that's a good sign if the offense comes around. The offense has to come around, though. I mean, obviously, you know, not having Spencer Sanders in there, he's been at practice, so maybe he's healthy enough. Illingworth is fine, um, especially for a freshman. But I don't think he's a go undefeated in the Big 12 quarterback. You're going to need a little more upside there, even when you've got what they've got at, at the skilled position. So that's kind of where we're at. It's, funny, it's a funny place to be for OSU. If their offense improves, they could go undefeated. But I think that's kind of where we're at at the moment. Well, Bill, we appreciate a few minutes to talk a little BYU and a little uh, Pac-12. We'll keep reading you, and uh, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Bill Conley, National College Football Writer for ESPN. Join us right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Pete Thamel, National College Football Writer for Yahoo Sports, is coming up next. Stay with us. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. There are a couple of reasons that I didn't become a doctor. Same reasons you what, didn't become what? a paleontologist. No, why do you crack a smile and well, then make just, a joke? I'm just saying, like, yeah, there's a couple of reasons I wasn't a lawyer. Number one, the LSAT scared me. Number two, I thought I'd fail miserably. And number three, I didn't think I was smart enough. So, yeah, there are just a couple of reasons why I didn't become a lawyer. Can I make a point without you attacking me? I'm not attacking you. Like, you've never talked about wanting to be a doctor before. To me, this seems like you were just right on the cusp of going to medical school. And then just these one or two little things came up and made you think, no, I'm not going to do that. Doctor. 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 Can you not attack me? You know, it bugs me when you do that. Doctor. 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 Stop playing that. And doctor. Well, we miss anyone? Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, we are joined now by Pete Thamel, National College Football Writer for Yahoo Sports. He's on the T-Mobile Special Guest Line. T-Mobile and Sprint are coming together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. Pete, good morning. Hey, guys. How are you? Good. We are curious. Well, we're curious about many things, but let's start with the most obvious one. BYU is 3-0, winning by an average score of 49-8. to but beating teams at, uh, well, we follow Navy, but we don't follow the others. We don't know how good they are. Navy just got drilled by Air Force. What, what does all this mean? BYU's crushing people, but what does it mean? How good are they? I think they're excellent. They have an excellent quarterback, and they have excellent lines, right? If, if you're really going to take a barometer and try to judge a team without the proper empirical evidence of opponents, I think the the place you start are you know the quarterback in the trenches, and that's where BYU has in, has impressed me the most. I've watched a lot of them this year just because they've been on and in uh, really good, really great windows. So so they have not got the best schedule uh, in college football due due to obvious reasons because of the pandemic, and they had an excellent schedule uh, prior, but they have had a ton of exposure, which you you, you got to give Tom Homo credit for. Um, 
and I really think that uh, I, I really think that they're they're excellent. You know, this is the kind of team that if they were still in the Mountain West, I think they'd be favored to win it at this point. So obviously they haven't had the best schedule, as you say. If they should go undefeated, which is still, you know, they've got a long way to go, so we can't say that just yet, and who knows if they're going to play the games and all that stuff. But just for argument's sake, we say you don't have the best schedule. If they go undefeated, would they have the worst schedule of undefeated teams? Well, it's hard to say because you, you don't know who else is going to go undefeated. But everyone, they're not going to make the play. All right, like we can just get that out of the way right now because they're just—they're not going to have—they're going to have one potential top twenty-five game against Boise, maybe two, but no more than that. So that's a—that's a pipe dream. But what you want to do is position yourself to to get that other New York Six bull bid. And I would think because of the exposure, because of the tenor, because of the star power, Zach Wilson, they're at least going to have like—they're they're going to—they have so far thrust themselves into that conversation. And let's face it, they probably weren't in that conversation. Um, seriously considered when the, when the season started. So good on them. They've they've earned it. They've earned it through authoritative wins and and, and props to Kalani Sataki. He's done a he's done an excellent job, kind of on a slow burn build there. So when you look at them, you know one way to measure this is uh, how many NFL players do they have. What do NFL scouts say about them? Have you heard any of that? It's early for that, um, just because the, the the scouts, you know, they usually have gone through camps and all that stuff. Like the normal rhythms of scouting is are a little bit d- disrupted right now. Uh, I will say, and I wrote this this weekend on uh, on Yahoo Sports in my takeaways column that that like Zach Wilson right now, you know, can be considered someone who will be considering the draft. Like he has gotten the attention of NFL scouts, and they have realized like they need to take a look at him and consider him for this draft. And I'm not saying he's going to go. I'm not saying it's inevitable. There's, there's a pretty gar, a good argument where he comes back, plays better competition, grows another year, and he could be one of the faces of college football next season. Um, you know, the last five years or so, that kind of patience really hasn't been prominent amongst, uh, amongst prospects, and I don't claim to know Zag or anything about him or his thinking. Um, so I really, have no, I really have no sense. But, uh, I mean, that is, that is a position that the NFL will be looking closely at this, this year. And in terms of other personnel – it's too early for me to, uh, to to start, you know, making declarations on other BYU players. I always felt that Ty Detmer, in part, won the Heisman because of the guys who've gone before him, like Steve Young, Nielsen, Wilson, McMahon, Bosco. We we know the names. So the point is that they had a rep leading up to Detmer, and Detmer was phenomenal in his own right. Now we've had more recently a guy like John Beck, Max Hall, a little bit of the NFL experience. How much do you think BYU's tradition of excellent quarterbacks will help Wilson get more individual publicity but also the program in general as it tries to make its way to that new york new york six and new year's six as you say the new york six i like it it's a new yeah, uh, new name uh, <laughs> i i really think that you know the byu quarterback quarterback lineage is sort of one of the one of the gilded positions in in all college sports right there's just there's there's some magic in a in a byu quarterback so we're going to pay a little extra attention when the byu quarterback is special like zach zach wilson is so i mean one of the things that that fuels college uh, football and college athletics is that it's rooted in nostalgia, right? Like people like to remember when Steve Young was playing there. People like to remember when Ty Depper was playing there. And, you know, Zach Wilson's season that, that he's having right now rekindles those memories. And that, that I think uh, is, is, is part of, uh, you know, is part of that nostalgia 
hub of college sports that make it such a uh, that make it such a powerful uh, powerful driver. So, um, no, I, I think that in in just the, the credibility of that position, you know, in the NFL, and obviously just historically, the credibility of that position is only going to benefit him. Well, you play the nostalgia card in uh, Pac-12 or Pac-10 or Pac-8 fans. Remember, remember when USC was a perennial power in the conference with all the guys opting out at Oregon? Is Oregon still the favorite? Is USC the favorite? Is it wide open? Is it somebody else? What are you thinking? I would think Oregon is is, is still the favorite. I mean, nobody wins off seasons like USC, right? Like, um, what did they lose? Five games last year off the top of my head? Uh were they eight and five? I think you're right, but I'll check. Yeah, I think they were eight and five last year. So, like, that's that's a lot of games to lose, including one to uh, one to BYU, which wasn't necessarily a terrible loss, but at the time it wasn't great because of who who else BYU had uh, had had lost. Yeah, they were eight and five, and they went seven and two in the uh, in, in the Pac-12. Yeah. So, I just have a hard time. And you got to remember, they lost uh, an offensive tackle who was a first round pick for the draft. Uh, Elijah Vera Tucker still hasn't said that the, the talented guard who's a potential first round pick still hasn't said if he's coming back this year. Um, you know, it's, it's USC and they've recruited well, but t- to me to take a, take a five loss team and insert them as the, as the favorite, I think is brand bias more than, more than any sort of reality we've seen. Already this season has been crazy. A lot of things that we didn't anticipate in going forward here. We're going to get the uh, other conferences getting going the next month or so. And with that in mind, you know, one of the knocks against college football is that when we get to the four-team playoff, you know, we could pretty much predict the six teams that will be in contention and probably have a good shot to get at least half, if not all four. Do you think that maybe this year it could be a little bit different or it's not going to matter, and when we get to December, in the middle of December, we're going to see the same teams vying for the four berths? I don't think there's going to be a lot of surprises this year. I think this year is going to be a mess, and it may be a little more controversial picking between four and five, but again, it's very, it's very, very early, and we've only seen, what, two weeks of the SEC, and it is kind of a mess. You can't even keep track of it in your mind anymore. Um, but I, I will say that I, I don't think like there's going to be. Will, will teams get upset? Sure, because of the chaotic nature of it. But I think when it when we drill down, especially because of these conference only samples, I, I, I have a hard time imagining some team coming from out of nowhere in, uh, in in getting in this playoff. I'm I'm skeptical of the Pac-12's ability to get there, but at the same time, the Big 12 has really eliminated itself as much as any major conference has by uh, you know, you know early October per, per se. So the Pac-12's credibility issue is really going to be on display right now because the problem out there is just there aren't a ton of good wins on the table because a lot of those programs just haven't produced very well and can't go out of conference and prove themselves this year. I mean, we're already going to have, by the time the Pac-12 kicks off, we're already going to have such refined opinions about Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, Florida, not as much Ohio State and uh, Penn State, but like there are already going to be known quantities to such an extent that it's really going to be hard in a in a short window for a Pac-12 team to leapfrog some of those some of those big brands. Pete Dammel joined us, national college football writer for Yahoo Sports. 
Are any coaches going to be held accountable for disappointments this year? Are they going to be fired? Or because of the financial situation, has everyone got to stick with whoever's under contract? Because buyouts, first off, it's hard to come up with the money. And second, if you do, it looks bad. Well, Southern Miss already parted ways with their coach. So it was like the same week I wrote a column that said there won't be a lot of coaches fired this year. So it shows you how much I know. Um, I really think that there will be a measure of austerity. And what we, what I struggle for us to see is like Texas would owe like Tom Herman and his staff $25 million. So you can talk about him being on the hot seat, but I just don't think there's any element of reality of that. That's just a huge number. I, the big, untenable buyouts and you know look you saw out west in recent years todd graham at arizona state jim mora at ucla um you know there have been there have been a handful that have been right around the 10 million dollar mark that have just been like wow that's a you know that's a lot of money i don't think we'll see any wows this season will we see some people lose their job yeah like some folks could retire you know, there's always going to be some people who flop. These are hard jobs, right? These guys have very, very difficult jobs. And so the stress of doing this job in a pandemic under these crazy rules with the virus just, uh, you know, like, all right, we don't have any cornerbacks today. We got to, we got to, we got to get new defense. Like that element of it, I mean, it's an unpredictable job anyway. That element of it could drive some guys out. We could see, you know, if there's going to be a big wow job, it could be somebody going to the NFL being like, all right, I got enough of this, um, a high-end guy, then more likely than Gus Malzahn getting fired. So I like your point of the Pac-12 starting so late will have the great body of evidence for the SEC and ACC of what been playing for so long. And Ohio State, you know – they could probably start December 19th and go 1-0 and and get in because they're Ohio State. So with the Pac-12, they're always playing from behind. So what I'm getting from you is they're playing even more from behind this year. So with that in mind, if they had a 7-0 and team that didn't get in, would that be the worst look of the Pac-12 in the years that they've had this playoff of having somebody be undefeated and still not get in? I got a prediction. I don't think anybody's going seven and zero out there. I don't think anybody's discernibly so much better than anyone else. Sure. Amid this mess of chaos and opt outs and everything, I just have a hard time envisioning a team out there going undefeated. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Right. But I just have a hard time because won't they end up with? And forgive me for not knowing this. The schedules have been impossible to track. Are they seven and then the playoffs eight, or are they six in the six, playoffs? Six, six plus one. Six and seven. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, look, most of those teams lose in division play anyway, right? They like, do, It's hard yeah. to imagine USC running through division play when they haven't run through division play in recent right. years, right? Yeah. And Oregon has a new starter quarterback. They lose two corners. Now, look, they've recruited well, and they're talented, and, uh, you know, in, in everything. Obviously, you know, Panay Sewell is probably the best player in the Pac-12 period this season. So, certainly the best NFL prospect. So, like there's there's enough uncertainty at Oregon where it's hard to just like write them in at six and zero when like you've got Washington likely on a little bit of an uptick. Washington State's going to be goofy as heck to play under Rolovich. Like that's you know there's a new style there that they that they've got to play. I have a hard time seeing Stanford without a pulse again. Just in and Cal has been salty. 
Cal Constonia. You know, we've we've seen we've seen Justin really uh, pull that program up and, and and rise. And I I don't know who Oregon's crossover is off the top of my head. I think it's UCLA at home, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is. Yeah. And so you know that you know could they should they will they be favored in those six games? Absolutely, they will. There's no reason they shouldn't be. But to, to say they're just going to win them all with the with the losses that they with the personnel losses they had and all the goofiness. I mean, you're one, you know, you're one party bus as we saw or keg party or whatever away. I, I'm just I'm just learning. It, it's hard to it's hard to assume in these COVID times, guys. Pete Dammel, National College Football Writer for Yahoo Sports, joining us. So I'm curious if we're going to hear the SEC, and let's be honest, for a long time, if you play eight conference games, you get into the playoff. If you play nine, you're at risk, whether you're the Big Ten or the Pac-12 or uh, the Big 12. So is the SEC going to be in the weird position of suddenly arguing, oh, we played ten conference games, let this uh, eight and three or eight and two or nine and two team in? Of course, that's going to happen. I mean, it will be the most wondrously hypocritical thing that we've ever seen, right? Um, and like, there is there is some sort of validity to the you know to to the argument. It's a two loss SEC team. I mean, who you? I've always been a big fan of who have you played and who have you beaten, right? Like that's really what it that's really what it comes down to. And what are your what are your best wins? It's just going to be so hard to judge that stuff because what is what is Cal, right? What is Cal if they haven't gone out of conference and played anybody we don't know what cal is right so it's it's just it's these these really tiny sample sets being being judged against each other and at least sec's saying okay we're at least playing 10 certifiable games where the opponent has some brand resonance right like that's that's a lot different than six games in you know so um but I mean, look, like the Big Twelve decided to play an out of league game, basically as an inventory play to fulfill their TV obligations, and that proved disastrous for the league. Right? Like the the Big Twelve would still be a mess, but it wouldn't have half the problems if it, it of of credibility if Louisiana didn't win at Iowa State and uh, K State didn't lose to uh, or if K State was two and zero with the two wins they had right now, you know, we'd be they'd be ranked, you know, they'd be ranked third in the country, right? Not not that high, but you know what I mean. So. Yeah. It's 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 going to be the the most fascinating argument playoff that we've ever seen. So, in terms of credibility for BYU's sake, does Boise State become their Super Bowl? Yes, yeah, that's gonna be a huge. That's gonna be a huge game. Is that a weekday game? I haven't said it yet. First week of uh, November, either that Friday or Saturday, okay. it was originally going to be the Friday night. On the schedule, it's okay. the same weekend, but we don't know now, as since it's been rescheduled, if it'll be Friday or Saturday. Okay. Well, that'll be uh, you know that I would imagine that ends up on a Friday, right? And so the world, so the world can watch. And the good thing for for BYU's sake is not only a committee, but college sports fans have to be conversant in BYU at this point, right? Like like, like much more so than than most most seasons, just because the exclusivity of their windows has been pretty dynamic. Pete Thamel, National College Football Writer for Yahoo Sports. Last thing before we let you go. So with all the questions you bring up, there's two things that could happen here. One, 
they could move the playoffs back a couple weeks so that more teams can play either you know an SEC team or a Big 12 team that needs to reschedule a game or just so the Pac-12 could schedule two more games. They could do that. There seems to be zero momentum for it. They also could go to an 18 playoff, which has been suggested, but there seems to be zero momentum for it. Why are they so stuck on a 14 playoff on these dates in a year when we know there isn't enough information to make a good choice and when we know everyone needs more games, regular season or playoffs, to make more money because everybody has budget issues? You know, it's, it's a good question. You know, I did a column months ago about how the financial crunch from this is going to lead to playoff expansion. I was talking to some smart people in the business side of college sports, and somebody brought up a good point. They said, you know, especially at that time when there didn't look like a lot of sports were going to be played as many as we saw now. And it's still a time of austerity with advertisers and everything. They, someone said, don't be so sure TV can just double the paycheck, right? Cause it's a big paycheck. Don't be so sure that, you know, ESPN can just clean out the couch cushions and, and fork over a couple hundred extra million. You know what I mean? Like the, the all these deals work every way. So it's easy to sit around and, you know, move and say, Oh, this state and this state, and we can just do it. But, you need the extra couple hundred million revenue there. And I don't know if that has, you know, if that has been made available or not made available, but it's sort of just worth thinking through from, from every, uh, from every direction. Now, the, the argument that the college football playoff people would tell you is, oh, you know, it's, you know, it, there's a lot of ancillary things that go with these events. Um, in, in their, their book years in advance, et cetera, et cetera. And we've seen schedules literally blown up and, and remade in 24 hours during this whole thing. So now the, the scale of the event and everything, and again, fans, no fans, I have no idea, right? But I, they, there, are, there are some complications. I mean, shoot, it, I think it would be really smart for them to go to an 18 playoff, but um, it does not surprise me just dealing with, dealing with the, the playoff and dealing with folks. It's hard to make change in college athletics. Pete, we appreciate the time and the perspective. Thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thanks, guys. Talk to you. Pete Thamel, National College Football Writer for Yahoo Sports. You can read him at, uh, at Yahoo all the time. He's just cranking stuff out. Thanks to Pete for coming on the show. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider, is coming up in about 15 minutes. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. And now, your Rocky Mountain Chevy dealer's strong play of the weekend. Rattler wants to throw it up. Play action. He delivers deep down the middle of the field. It is intercepted by Aishim Young. And the Cyclones have the football. Aishim Young picked it off at the end zone. The Cyclones defeated Oklahoma in Ames for the first time since right after JFK was elected. It's been 60 years. The Cyclones defeat the Sooners in Ames 37-30 the final. 
There's the Chevy Strong play of the game, the interception that sealed the deal as Iowa State beats Oklahoma. Oklahoma's got back-to-back losses. That never happens. Iowa State beat Oklahoma in Ames. That hasn't happened for 60 years. And Oklahoma's out of the top 25. PK, don't you love it when some of the heavyweights, you'd love it more if it were Ohio State, obviously, but don't you love it when some of the big brand names just have to have a little bit of a struggle sometimes? Do I? You do. Hmm. See, I really hold nothing against Clemson, Alabama. Uh, LSU. But you'd like to see you'd like to see things shaken up a little bit, wouldn't you? If yeah, Alabama but, lost back to back SEC games, like, oh man, what's happening now? Okay, who? so LSU gets in there. Is that really shaking up? BYU getting in—that's that's shaking, shaking up. But just have a, a, a new guy. A, change around the chairs in the SEC, does that really do it for me? Because when I look at the SEC, do I really care if LSU or Alabama wins? I'm talking the national title. Not really. What's the difference? Okay, so if it wasn't Ohio State, if it was Wisconsin or Penn State or Michigan, would that make a difference? Sure, but it isn't. It's going to be different in Oklahoma. And a Big 12. Yeah, but Oklahoma's never... Uh, not They've been never. in the semis, but they don't but, get to the title game and they don't win it. Right. Whereas, whereas we have seen Florida and LSU and Alabama and Auburn all... I guess Georgia would be new. The other four have all won titles in the BCS era or the playoff era, or both. Yeah, I get your point. You know, we love the underdog, and Iowa State's the underdog, but when you look at Oklahoma, they're starting a brand new quarterback who doesn't have experience for three years in some other program and then come in and, and light it up. So in that respect, you know, he made a horrible pass. Yeah, the, the kid was held a little bit, speaking of Rattler on that last interception that we just played, but he just basically floated that up there either way. Uh, who's to say that there could have been no cornerback and that safety wouldn't have picked it off either way? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll never know the difference. That's not the I don't have any problem with Riley complaining about it. A penalty's a penalty. And so you can't say, well, this would have happened, this wouldn't have happened. All we know is that the kid was held and there should have been something thrown. And so I get him complaining. But I don't. that's what I said to, to Pete Thamel, or, or was it uh, Conley, uh, maybe it's both, that we can pick six teams in college football and we'll probably get three of the six, if not all four of the six, right. Yeah. So if we just change one or two, but yet it's still somebody else, it that that's the big problem with college bat football right now is that it's just the, the big, big money teams are the ones that are legitimately vying for the playoff. And we and we get tempted. I can remember writing last year in November, Utah's not going to get in. Oh, my gosh, I took so much crap. Guys tweeting at me, I'm going to remember this and bring it up every day nope, if Utah nope, gets really, in. You really aren't. Because well, you're not. That's the whole point of what I wrote, you I idiots. And so they didn't get in. I, I, I didn't say I, I'm still waiting for the first one 10 months later. Hey, you were right. I was wrong. I hadn't heard that, but I got a lot of people telling me, oh, they were just going to jump my case. You don't think that I didn't want Utah to get in? Of course I did. If it can't be the Devils, I want the Utes every freaking year. It's great for business, and I like the guys up there, except for the head coach. I like them all. But other than that, it's just not going to happen. And so, yeah, seeing Oklahoma go down, 
but it's not really the Big Twelve. It is the it's Clemson, it's Ohio State, and, and then the three or four in the SEC. And I would like to see something different. And I don't know that we will. Maybe this year, if we all pull together, we could get BYU in. <laughs> I I got to say, we just, so we just hit on two national college football writers, right? You write for Yahoo and you write for ESPN. You're right in the middle of all of it. And Bill Conley seemed to leave the door open, and mm-hmm. Pete Thamel slammed it shut. And, I'd agree with that. And, and I think the more i thinking about it during this last commercial break, it's like, so if you had to put 20 bucks on either one of those, uh, I think I put it on Pete and slammed the door shut. They're in the discussion for the New Year's Six, but, man, it's, it's, it's the good old boys network. You don't have an automatic yeah. bid. They'll have to squeeze somebody else out. Now, it's 2020 and it's COVID year, and teams charter, though, so even the travel thing seems like it'll probably get taken care of. So I can see why they put BYU in, but it requires leaving somebody out of a New Year's Six, and I don't see why they do that. The thing that I thought that Pete Thamel made uh, a lot of sense about, and I hadn't thought about it that I haven't thought about it at all, but actually when he brought it up, was that the Pac-12, by the time they get going, you will have had two months of SEC football. Mm-hmm. You will have had three weeks of Big Ten football and also ACC and Big 12. So the Pac-12 is already fighting from behind. Well, now they are fighting further from behind because there will be zero momentum that they've had compared to the other conferences who've had weeks and weeks of momentum. Now, as that relates to BYU, then BYU, by the time we get to the Big Ten starting, which is still, what, three weeks away, they can have a lot of momentum. If they And Houston, they get to play Houston as scheduled, and they slaughter these teams again. So they've got six dominating wins in their back pocket, and Wilson is still completing. I don't know that he can beat 83%, but let's go 75%, and he's got 20 touchdowns and two picks. That can build them up a lot of momentum to the point if Harbaugh finally gets off his butt and beats Ohio State or something else happens, whatever it might be, that BYU We'll have to. We just can't ignore them because they will have built up a bunch of momentum already. So maybe in this unusual year, the fact that they can have some snowball effect can carry them to heights that maybe they wouldn't have been able to have been carried to if it would have been a regular where we start on time and everybody starts together. That's just one theory. I don't know that it can happen, but I put it out there. Okay. Number one... It'd be good for business, so I hope it happens. Because it would definitely impact talking sports ratings. Same set, same lead-in, same anchor, same producer, and the ratings change dramatically because a local team is just going off. And it can be the Jazz. We've seen it with BYU football, with Utah football. Well, we've seen it in the NCAA tournament and basketball, too. It really can be any of the, you know, a handful of local teams can do it. But... BYU with five, six, seven wins, and then a power league starts up, and some team that's got a brand name and a rep wins one game by three touchdowns, and they're 1-0, and they either jump into the polls or jump up 10 spots because they're a brand name. 
I can, it, it's how college football works. I can I understand that. Totally but see that happening. And so you have these other teams beat each other up, as you like to say. Yeah, and and, and, and really for the Cougars, if they got to a New Year's Six day, it'd be exciting. That'd be thrilling. And we'd get to measure how good they were. And, it'd and I be said great. New York, New New York on purpose. Uh, if they got to that, that would be a level that they haven't come close to getting. Nothing against the New Mexico Bowl, <laughs> but the Fiesta Bowl, fill in the blank bowl, compared to where they've been. Utah sort of have been there, done that, but although they haven't done it in the Pac-12. They've done it before, whereas BYU hasn't gotten anywhere near it. So even if they got to that, for the Cougars, they need to convince young Latter-day Saint 18-year-old boys, men, young men, you need to come here and, and see, we can, we can get you where you want to go here. And just the fun of it is worth it. And your ratings and television, although I think you're so entrenched now, you got nothing to worry about, but, so. But, but it's I still, get, but it's still more fun to do. Desire. It's and, I, I and it's the same that. here. It's yeah. more fun to come in the no question. Come in here no and talk about a team that's one that might or might not do something that they haven't yeah. done in a long time. Then is to come in here and say, of course, Coach X has lost five in a row. Should he yes. really be back? And I am a BYU homer, one hundred percent. As right. I am a Utah homer and a Jazz homer, <laughs> where we are, we admit it, all for self-serving purposes. But we admit that. But I also think that besides our excitement, I think that they need something that is a signature for Kalani Sataki's error, and it can happen this year. And it's really important for the program that they get it because. They need to go a little bit beyond because it's so easy for Latter-day Saint kids to go to Stanford, to go to Utah, to go to Oregon. We see it all the time. We just see it all the time, man. And they need it. It would be such a shot in the arm. It would be the biggest jolt this program has had since they've gone independent, which is in its 10th year now. Well, all they can do is win 49-8 next week. That's the average score through the first three. Take it to uh, UTSA, the Roadrunners. Yeah. All right, DJ and PK, that is a lot of football. Some of you want a little bit of hoops, and we will get to that next. Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider, coming up. Stay with us.